What's up, Jay Brones? Live from Toronto, Ontario, and Kansas City, Missouri, this is the Torture Rack Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bass. My co-host is John F. Malta, and we are very happy to be here with you, our friends in wrestling. John, say something. Let the people know we're alive, pal. Dude, I have been over here aggregating content for a new screen print that I'm working on for a, an art show in March of this year. Oh, sick. It's uh it's a Nintendo themed art show. What? And the game I am researching, I'm wondering if you've ever looked into it. I and I've not played this game. I purely am doing this illustration or doing this poster based off this game one for the roster and two because I have seen, I have throughout my uh, years of pillaging through junk stores, I have come across ads for this game, and I never realized it was for this game. Did you ever play WCW for Nintendo? Do you mean the like original NES, like WCW? Yeah, WCW, aka World Championship Wrestling. No, for I didn't even hear the Nintendo about it. Entertainment System. Uh, originally released in Japan in 1989 under the name Superstar Pro Wrestling. Uh, I actually should have included this. I'm going to go ahead and drop the link to the to the game roster so you can see what I'm working with. Yeah, I'm working on a screen print based off this this specific game. And the roster is really sick. The Road Warriors, uh, Sting is in it. We get to check in with Sting in this video game. Uh... <laughs> it's Sting! <laughs> there's no, I don't think there's any snow. Uh, but... Is there any Shivani? Shivani is talking to Sting is not. That's like that is a concept for like there's that's the mobile app that should happen is you get to check in with Sting and it's a Sting soundboard. Okay, here is what I like is that this game was initially based on Superstar Pro Wrestling from Japan, so the entire roster is based off of other yes. characters. This that's is why I thought yes, totally. So Lex- I, that's why I linked this to you. Beautiful. Well, I, I, I found it. So Lex Luger is based off of Antonio Inoki, which is pretty incredible. You would have thought that would have been Ric Flair. Uh, but I guess just because Luger is like more of a power. Yeah, maybe house. also like Ric Flair based off too is maybe. I don't know, though, because the second one's weird. Ric Flair being based off Giant Baba. I don't even know who Giant Baba is. It's going to be a few. I don't hey. know. My Captain well, Mike Rotunda based on Jumbo <laughs> Tsutsura. I was gonna, Tsura. Yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> our, fa- our favorite. Uh... WCW uh, dad, uh, yeah. Mike Rotunda. Well, who is... Uh... Okay, well, if you have Mike Rotunda, then you must have... Uh, what was the guy's name? The Roof? What was it? Roof or something? It's like a really... <laughs> something oh, Furnace. Furnace. furnace yeah. Larry, uh, like, no way but up <laughs> Larry Furnace? Like Kevin Larry furnace, furnace or something? Something like yeah. that, yeah. Um, you gotta have Kevin Furnace. Gotta have Kevin Furnace. Kevin Sullivan based off of uh, Jinichiro Tenryu. Yeah, like, I don't... Do I don't uh, yeah, Dude, Sting as Ricky Choshu. That's fucking sick. And Ricky yeah. Steamboat based off of Bruiser Brody. Super Very tight cool. as well. Yeah. Steiner. Go ahead. I just got excited about Road Warrior Hawk. You could say who he's based on. Stan Hansen. Yeah. Okay, but this is weird. Road Warrior Hawk is based off of Stan <laughs> Hansen, but then Michael P.S. Hayes <laughs> is based off of Road Warrior Hawk? Yeah, why wasn't Road Warrior Hawk just re... Like, kept the same, yeah. Used? Yeah. I mean, I guess because they have slightly different, like, colored uh, face paint? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like... No, but this is... Across WCW, NWA, and New Japan, I mean, I don't know, like, for sure, like, but I'm pretty sure they looked 
fairly similar. Like, just seems like it would take their... a lot of work to turn Road Warrior Hawk into Stan Hansen and then turn <laughs> Michael P.S. Hayes into Road Warrior Hawk. But I digress. Uh, yeah. Dr. Death Steve Williams, who I would have expected would have been in the G- New Japan game, is based off of Big Van Vader, who I would have expected to be in the WCW game. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. And Road Warrior Animal is the only one who remains unchanged. <laughs> that's sick, man. That's super sick. Uh, I uh, I don't I don't see the like the roster picture, but that seems like it would be a sick. Drawing. Yeah, great content to make a drawing off of. Uh, and I mean, I could have cho- I guess I could have chose. I was between doing that or Skater Die because I did play Dude. Skater Die a lot when I was a kid, and I loved that the theme song. Skater Die too. <laughs> but. Yeah, I don't know the 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 um, ads for this game are like really cool, uh, which is maybe maybe the main reason why I wanted to do something based off of it. It reminds me a lot of like the headlines from a lot of the New Japan shows. The all the ads say "Be a Video Warrior." Oh yeah, uh, which I think is a cool like. Oh, it, it sounds yeah, like a this translated is a really sick ad, and it's got the the Road Warriors. Yeah, yes. Uh, although Hawk seen... looks a lot like Michael P. S. Hayes, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've seen that a lot in like comic books that I have, and I never really like went further than that, apart from just knowing that I liked that ad. Uh, so yeah, when this show came up, um, had to base something off of it. I now want to play. I want to play the both of these games, um, dude. Have you ever kind of emulator or ROM? For it. Oh, yeah, that would be very easy. Have you ever played any of the WCW PlayStation games? The first disc-based games? Uh, yeah, but I don't really remember them because I don't think I like them very much. Oh, they're absolutely Did you? hot Do you garbage. remember them? I've never played them, but I have spent hours, I'm serious, hours on YouTube watching the character select screens. <laughs> because this was right when they first like put full motion video. So they had the actors like record like promos, but most of them are like the wrestlers cutting promos on the player like you you can't pick me you're not good enough to pick me which i think is like a weird reverse psychology move but it's just like the worst promos you can tell nobody wants to be there on filming day <laughs> at all and some people are just like unintelligible i think they did one for like ahmed johnson on the wwf side and it's like absolutely marble mouth you can't hear like a word he's saying what that stupid blue out the face Cause it's time to meet the real Superstar of WWF I'm gonna be you And no one gonna come say You're sorry Carlos Just make sure you got plenty Of insurance Call I actually have the Like on a shelf it's not here though. Uh, I I had the the actual like one of the PlayStation games uh, on a display shelf with like some wrestling figures, but I don't in the move. I, I don't I'm know. gonna link you uh, not not for right now, not for immediate consumption, for... but uh... <laughs> yeah, let's kill about six minutes of this podcast. Just while, you uh, listening, and you just hear like me listening and laughing and occasionally <laughs> commenting on a twenty twenty five year old game. Yeah, something like that, 25 years. But yeah, dude, uh, we are back with episode 21. We are, and we thought uh, episode 21, first episode of 2021, we would look back on 2020 a little bit and uh, just give you a little sneak peek of uh, one of the articles that's going to be coming up in uh, the upcoming Torture Racked magazine. We uh, did our inaugural vote for the Torture Racked Wrestling Awards, heretofore named The Rackies. Because 
you always just go with the first one that you come up with. And um, yeah, so we came up with a bunch of categories and it was voted by um, myself, John and Thomas. And uh, yeah, there's only three categories where we all came out with the exact same answers, um, which I yeah. think is interesting. One of which being the first category here, which is the best non-wrestler, but not a commentator, sort of best non-wrestling personality. And all three of us uh, put the vote in for uh, the man Taz. Taz, can you say something uh, on behalf of your award acceptance? Oh, great. Yeah, great. I got the best award in this stupid freaking... <laughs> podcast that 20 people have ever heard of it means even less than the ftw title which i didn't i would never say that my boy brian cage look at the pistons on this guy taz i think you received like the lowest award that we could give oh oh the lowest award on the lowest freaking podcast on this stupid planet I feel like we need a bed of music that's like awards music under this. Oh, like a speech? We can find some public access. Yeah, like, uh, or public domain, like, uh, nice, like, music to play someone on stage, to play Taz on stage. Great, yeah, great. I got the best award in this stupid freaking podcast that 20 people have ever heard of. I'm scared that um, that would make it look like we'd rehearsed this before and that that was my like, <laughs> rehearse Taz speech and I don't want to give anyone that impression um, or like get some like reverb on the category titles <laughs> oh oh yeah, yeah don't worry I'll do you this know what I mean? it's all in post yeah. I'll, I'll be taking care of this it's gonna sound amazing <laughs> so uh, yeah next ca- category is best commentator of the year so myself and John both, both voted for the same man uh, Mr. Kevin Kelly, John, can you what what can you say about Kevin Kelly? Why did you why did you vote for him? I don't think there's. I think it's like unmatched almost in terms of what he, how he articulates the importance of a wrestler during their entrance. You learn their entire max like history, who they trained with, what championships they've had, what like G ones they've won, what New Japan Cups they've won. Like who they feuded with, why it's important that like someone is ringside on commentary. It's like there's no there's no detail left unturned by Kevin Kelly. I I just I don't think that they're he's unmatched. I mean, there are people who maybe add to the show in a different way than Kevin Kelly does. But even Kevin Kelly, the way he like, I don't know, he just weaves between being like a color commentator and also like kind of just play by play. Yeah, he yeah, does. He's a force. He does three things very well that most people can only do one of them very well. One of them, like you said, he brings like a sense of history, more context to everything that's that's happening from when they're coming down to the ramp to when they're leaving. He also, like you said, is a great color commentator, just a play-by-play man, I should say. Like, he's absolutely incredible at like amplifying the mood of those moments and stuff. Yeah. And then he's a, just a warm presence that you enjoy hearing. He's a commentator. When you hear his commentary, you're like, ah, oh, it's like a, a sip of... Fine coffee, if I may. Is, yeah, uh, yeah. The presence of Kevin Kelly on mic. Damn fine coffee. Absolutely. Thomas picked Excalibur. I was just going to say, yeah, there's just a lot that I've learned about New Japan from Kevin Kelly and secondarily also Chris Charlton. Like both of them, sure. uh, I think, just do such a good job of letting us know 
like why someone is doing a moonsault, why like Sonata does a moonsault because he was trained by the great Muda and why Okada has such a fluid move set because he was trained by Ultimate Dragon. And I only know and remember those things because Kevin Kelly is always reminding us about it in the best possible. And for some reason, like it just comes off in a way where it's just like this guy cares so much about like what is happening in ring and the history of this company. And he want really wants us all to know it. Um, Absolutely. And like you said, he's like, provides opportunities for learning. Like, you know me, uh, I think when I really started getting into New Japan was the G1 last year. Mm-hmm. So like probably a year and a half ago. And I didn't know very much at all. Like I had, I knew a couple people. So yeah, when there's a great matchup, just kind of letting you know how many wins does Jay White have on Kota Ibushi going into this Oh yeah, match? even that like, too. What's the history? Yeah, yeah but uh, Thomas uh, put in a vote for Excalibur and... I would call him more like the internet smart sort of representation on commentary. Like he'll bring the like, I am the table and stuff <laughs> from like Botchamania. And you know, he's, he's got those legendary calls like the Tope Suicida. Like that's, that's when you hear that again, that's like a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a warm feeling. You're like, Oh yeah. That's like the Mamma Mia from uh, Moro. Yeah. Excalibur is like one of the, it's like, a different thing for me, I feel like I really I like him a lot as a commentator as well, and I feel like he to me is like one of the voices of AEW in the way that Jr. was to like Monday Night Raw in the Attitude Era. Like it feels I feel like looking back on it, like a lot of the commentary that we will remember from this time, I think will be Excalibur's calls. Yeah, uh, I think so too. I out, think... out of the current Dynamite, when I think of it, I think of like Tony and and Excalibur. And how I'm always mad at Jim Ross these days. Yeah. <laughs> he can't even put someone over for just a second. Like, he's introducing a new character on Dynamite last night. What was his name? Danny Limelight? Yeah, yeah, Danny Limelight. Guys, Danny Limelight. JR hops on, hops on Mike for a fucking great piece of commentary. He's like, oh, see, I always thought Tony Limelight would be a great name. <laughs> great, JR. Are you just going to start calling him fucking Tony Limelight now? Is that your thing? I was calling Jungle Boy, Jungle, Jungle Jack. Boy, Jungle Jack and stuff. Stop inserting your nicknames. I know it's like cute, like commentator. I think Jungle Jack is stuff. less annoying than like, yeah, I don't know. The, Again, the, I like, just think of like a, a viewer who's watching it for the first time. Yeah, totally. Well, it's like we were, like we, we were texting to each Jack. other yesterday. Like imagine him doing that in any other era, like. Stone Cold Jim Austin or <laughs> no, Macho it's... Macho Man Jim Savage, like <laughs> Steel Cold, Steel Cold. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Jim Steel Austin. Cold Jim Austin. Yeah, that's I think one yeah. of our, our best pieces of work. <laughs> yeah, like um, I, it's just like, is that like? I think silence would be better than that, right? That's what I just often think of watching move watching moves happen, like because yeah. Danny Limelight's move set was really cool. Uh, yeah, he was awesome, and then it kind of just like I don't know. It's not that that's a huge heel move. It's just like what you said about if he could put over any wrestler as much as he puts over picture in picture. Yeah. Like someone's tweet said that. Like, I couldn't put it better myself. But this is meant to be a celebration of the best. Exactly. The best of the best. Not a roasting of the mediocre. Best heel work. John, make your case for Ricky Shane Page as the best I mean, here. this really needed to be a case to be made. He's it's like no, I feel like really. the t- in my mind the three contenders for this category were MJF, Ricky Shane Page, and Switchblade. Uh, yeah, and I feel like 
I hate Ricky Shane Page as a fan in a way that I like MJF. Even though like I, it's incredible how dedicated he is to the character of MJF. I feel watching AEW that I'm watching a character playing a heel in a way that is good. But to me, Ricky Shane Page just, yeah, I don't know. I It seems like even I forget that he is playing a character sometimes. Him and Nick Gage seem to me to actually hate each other. Like MJF isn't going to go spit in John Moxley's face afterwards. It seems to me that like, I know that's probably not going to true for Ricky Shane Page or, uh, Nick Gage as well. Maybe they really do hate each other, but I think it is also all probably character work, right? Or am I being worked by GCW and they actually do hate each other? Man, you're you're making me want to change my vote here to Ricky Shane Page because that's a very great point. Oh yeah, you. So you were the way you were watching me, or the way like I I was talking to you and you were watching me say this. I was like, oh, is he gonna like clap back with like, dude, no? How are you saying that about MJF? Uh, and I'm not no, meaning no. this as a dig to MJF because I think he's an expert heel, but I think it's like it's a he's a fun heel to watch. It's like you're watching someone so hateable because it's fun to hate him. I don't know. It's I'm trying to think of something to compare it to in like another other media, but like, uh, it's it's a different experience than Ricky Shane Page, where it's like we don't know. Like, Nick Gage seems like he actually hates Ohio, hates 440H. (laughs) Ricky Shane Page seems genuinely like he doesn't like Nick Gage and is satisfied that Nick Gage is, like, hurt and he's got his belt. And, like, yeah. It's true. Ricky Shane Page does seem like an odious person. Yeah. Who did he fight? Didn't he do an intergender match? Um, I think Alley Cat, maybe. Wasn't there, like, a... There was... He... He did like a there was like a squash I think against Alley Cat one of the last shows we watched uh, one of the last GCW shows we watched I think there was um, just a match and then he just came out and just started the main event Yes that's what we were excited to see I think it was going to be a tag between maybe Effie and Alley Cat were on like a penultimate match and he came out and interrupted it and then it didn't happen and then she she was on a match later like on another show but okay i think that it, it was homecoming because was, she was on a match the next night anyways did you just change your mind i have changed my vote to page that you've you've made an amazing point uh i will go to bat for mjf because it's thomas's vote um he yelled in the face of a child whose father died like that Week. like he is always <laughs> he is committed he is character. but see he's fully committed to the character yeah and so is ricky shane page i don't know yeah i'm not trying they, to argue they, they both are but i see what you mean it just there's more verisimilitude with gcw because it is just is more realistic seeming in a weird way um even though it's over the top but yeah mjf uh his speech against moxley uh i did think that 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 was being shoehorned in a little bit making it political and then when he actually gave that speech of like we deserve better, I was like, I was good. Damn. Yeah, I was like, God damn, is yeah. MJF gonna like win the title here? Like he's just so good. You're right about the three people in contention. Uh, Jay White has been amazing. You know, this year maybe not his best year, but he's he's been incredible. And I I, I think about him every time I think of again someone like Baron Corbin who we just hate so much has such go away heat. Um, and I'm like, does that make him actually effective? Like, is he actually good? And then I think of effective heels like Jay White and MJF, who you don't really want to see win. Uh, and they don't have the most exciting movesets, but they are, like, so good. 
on the mic and like so good at engendering that like we said like a heel is a joy to watch i think everything should be a joy to watch the faces should be a joy to watch and the heel should be a joy to watch too so in that way like mjf succeeds at his healer yeah well that's and that's a good point uh and you like i I love that a while ago you brought up the fact you pointed out that switchblade even like all the way down to switchblade's finisher it's not cool and it's not interesting like it's just like this match is done it's over and i think to your point that you just made that uh heels should be you should enjoy watching a heel that's like i i I was crushed during the g1 of 2019 when jay white defeated naito yeah and i was like there's no naito has no way of getting to the belts now jay white just defeated him and what's going to happen and like i wanted so badly for naito to find a way back and he did and he won and a lot of that ascendance to those titles and like why we wanted to see it was thanks to jay white's great heel work yeah and i'm gonna skip forward now to a little bit of wrestle kingdom but up to very close up to pretty much i think the day we watched wrestle kingdom i was pissed off that jay white was in the main event yeah that it wasn't uh naito and coda and i've actually changed my mind about that like i i finally see the huge story that that, that they were telling which is that jay white has always been the thorn in coda's side like he's yeah. just all, always been there to snatch it away from him but also just separately from that and jay's like great promo after wrestle kingdom if this was like 2021 like jay white would have more of a shot because we would have just had this wrestle kingdom with his like sort of amazing promo afterwards but jay's just on his own ascension and he truly does believe that it is his year and that's not coda's year and like, right. the fact that that didn't happen he doesn't just live to fuck with coda like he wants his own shit like he's just mm-hmm. living his own life so the fact that like that didn't happen and now he's kind of fa- falling apart i think it's going to be a very interesting year for the and i think also we've all been worked thinking he's leaving new japan oh yeah yeah i mean i he from the beginning i was kind of suspect of those rumors just cuz he's a young lion like yeah i don't know it just seems too like like I, I I texted you like I think the only reason he would ever leave would be because for like like personal reasons we all don't know like if there's like a reason he really would want to live in the states right or like you know I I think that that to me would be the only like basically a job reason like the reason yeah. he would move a job uh not necessarily I would like I don't know I mean all that being said I think if Jay White were booked the way he is in New Japan he could do really well in like if he were given like an AJ Styles type treatment which maybe he would be given that kind of treatment maybe not I I don't think so but uh yeah he he would do well in a place like WWE uh if they booked him correctly which they would not uh but <laughs> that is a big <laughs> if yeah speaking of young lions we got the young lion award here which is our oh, true, our, yeah. our award for rookie of the year John, I was excited to see who you'd come up with uh, for this one, and I see that you've chosen the same choice as me, which is the tag team of AEW Top Flight. What do you think of these guys? What what made them pick you? What 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 made you pick them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was between a couple different people. Do you have I do you have a reason why you chose them? Uh, it was pretty close between them and Ty Conti. Um, mm. just because oh yeah i have loved uh ty conti and what she's brought to the women's division honestly the just the match against uh the young bucks i think they also uh fought was it teach too that they fought as well there was two matches that they had on dynamite and i was just like how are these guys so good how d- do i like them more than like half of the tag teams 
in AEW. They're like 18 and 19 years old. Like it's like preternatural. It doesn't even make sense. You were pretty much describing why I chose them too. I was kind of thinking I was between Top Flight and Ben Carter. Who's uh, Ben Carter? Because I had Ben Carter. He uh, he got signed to NXT UK, but he showed up on a couple GCW shows in the summertime. He had like blonde hair and wore like white all white ring gear. Uh, he was on a few sh- of the GCW shows we watched, and then also appeared on a few AEW spots. Uh, and then ended up getting signed to NXT UK because of his like standout performances this summer. Um, and I thought that he may get signed by AEW, um, but he's a student of Seth Rollins. So it makes sense that he would get, you know, brought into the WWE system. Uh, I just thought he had a great, it was just like a great spot in a bunch of different places. Uh, but top flight to me, it's like, like what you said, it's amazing that they came into AEW so late into the year. And feel like a, a quintessential AEW tag team in such a short amount of time. Like, even more so than some of the tag teams that have been there from the beginning. And I'm sure they've been doing some dark matches that I've missed as well. Yes. I, yeah, I, I, I'm sure you're right. I've not really seen many episodes of Dark recently. Them versus Bucks was, like, one of the best matches of the, of the early year. Honestly. Yes, agreed. Like, it was so, so good. Thomas picked uh, Anna J from the Dark Order, which is another great shout. Um, yeah, yeah, her work, like her uh, and Ty Conti, and you know what they brought to the tag team uh, division during the tag team tournament. I can't remember what it was called in AEW. Uh, they were both fantastic, and it was like I don't oh, know what it was called either. Where have, yeah. these, where have these people been? Um, Anna J in the Dark Order has been fantastic. I love the Dark Order coming out during her matches. And I loved her and Ty Conti actually on the last match that just happened when um, Ty Conti lost for the NWA title against um, Serena Deeb. Serena Deeb. And um, Anna Jay just like comforted her. It was like a rare moment of like the heels aren't like getting mad at each other for losing. Yeah. And, yeah. Their their friendship has been cool to see. And I, I yeah, I. Excuse me. Uh, I love. I, I I totally see why Thomas picked her. She's had a great year. I, you know, the AEW women's roster this year because of, partly because of COVID and partly because it's just like injuries not as that well. strong. Yeah, it's just like uh, I feel like it's like we've been waiting for people to stand out and kind of uh, you know ha- be be a, have memorable moments, memorable matches, and just kind of like rip it up and Anna Jay is someone that I feel I would definitely done that put, really well. I would definitely put Ty Conti up there as well. Same. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Best title defense of the year. This is the first category we've all split on. I actually changed mine. I had the same answer as yours, but uh, what made you change it? Yeah, you changed it from so my response to the best title defenses of the year was the IWGP never open weight belt and that was Mark's initial as well, but you have changed it to the TNT championship. Uh, why did you do that? Okay, match-wise, IWGP never open weight is absolutely the winner. It probably has the best title defenses out of um, like any promotion we any watch. Any promotion we've watched, um, the matches between Shingo and Suzuki, Kenta and Goto also uh, fought at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, Kenta dropped it to Goto. Goto. Uh, then went on to face Shingo at New Beginning, and Shingo beat Goto. Nice. Uh, and that match was incredible. Um, 
all, all of those matches I just n- mentioned were great. And I, uh, I missed a yeah. couple of those, I think. But yeah, no, I, I totally, I that that was my feeling. And then I thought about like what belts do I did I actually care about that it was defended like the belt itself and those were just like matches that I really loved it wasn't the fact that they were going to like win the never open weight that really mm, was compelling yeah. to me they're just great matches uh AEW World have a world championship you could make uh a case for as well as now IWGP heavyweight you could not make a case for because all those evil matches were <laughs> shitty right so it's like you, yeah. you take that out of the running AW you could you absolutely can can say that but there was something about that TNT open challenge that was happening uh, with Cody and like when he fought like I was so excited to see who he was going to fight every week when it was like War that's Horse. a really good point yeah um, yeah Kingston Ricky Starks Ricky Starks um, I know there was more people on the roster as well that he fought. Like people like Sean Spears. I don't think it was Sean Spears, but like, yeah, I just, I loved those. And like him losing to Brody Lee was like one of the most shocking matches. Oh, yeah. For me. Well, and the, the how fast it was. And then Dark Order's sort of, yeah, Taking dominance over. established. And then Cody winning it back um, from uh, from Brody. Uh, and now, of course, dropping it to, to Darby, although I guess that probably would be in the new year. But anyway. Just that that Cody run of of defending it, um, that was probably just my favorite. I don't know when I think about it, like title defenses, like and I actually think about yeah. it like that. That and the AW title are pretty close, but yeah, I felt like I didn't know who was going to win, and with AW, it was pretty clear that like Mox was going to hold on to it. Yeah, I just I loved it was a it was a new title that got introduced this year, and um, I loved I loved the defenses. Thomas picked the AW World Championship. It's hard to argue against that. Like Mox defended it all year uh, against yeah against Brody against Brody MJF. Jake Hager MJF um, Darby Allen. Like just like a lot of excellent matches. He is a great champion. I don't think that's the last we'll hear about John Moxley on this list. Yeah, I wonder. Well, that's true. And like in thinking about that, I wonder. Like obviously, Mox will have a second title run at some point. Who do you think he beats in the future for the world title? To win it again. Yeah. Like, let's say, like, they probably have, like, another year's worth. Like, Kenny is probably going to hold the belt for a while, and then Hangman will get it. Then ha- Pac, maybe? Hangman would have to win it, lose it to a heel, probably. Probably Pack for their long-term feud, and then Moxley wins it from Pac. We're always wrong, I mean, Mo- so, like... This Mox versus fun. Pac would be a sick... Like, Mox against the... I mean, those seeds could have been planted, though. The Lucha Brothers are helping... Mo- we're helping Mox yesterday. Oh, Like, imagine, like, that, like, long-term... I don't know, like, his... Pac's allies are helping Mox. I don't know. I feel like the AEW, for, like... I, they just have been so good about like planting those small seeds. Like we were talking about that in relationship to, and we'll talk about it more, I'm sure later, but like in relationship to the Darby Allen t- team Taz feud. Yeah. Went all the way back to pre double or nothing. Um, which at the time Taz doing a backstage interview with Darby seemed kind of insignificant to me. I don't think it really like, I didn't think that it was going to turn into this year, near year long, feud that's been really fun to watch and doesn't feel like stale at all uh but yeah uh our next award category 
was is my I one that I named the Barbed Wire Bunkhouse Award, the award for best death match or street fight. Bark, uh, who'd you give this award to? Another three way split, which I am actually seriously confused about. I thought this was going to be a slam dunk. I picked the best friends versus proud and powerful, the parking lot brawl, uh, the only five star Meltzer rated hardcore bash of the year, probably the best uh, dynamite ending match that we've yep. Yeah, uh, that we've ever seen, and just a symphony of of violence and uh, and destruction. Just one of those spot fests that feels like an escalation and doesn't just feel like a spot fest. Like it felt like even though they were power bombing each other on trunks and stuff, it just felt like they were telling a story. And yeah, also ended with Sue driving them off and giving Prime Marvel <laughs> the finger, like. And just, like, a great match for Best Friends. Like, Best Friends have been doing great work, but they've a little bit been in the shadow of Orange Cassidy. So just, like, a moment for them to just rip it up and show all that they're capable of. Um, yeah, seemed like a no-brainer. Yeah, dude. Uh, you picked... There's a close second for me. I mean, okay, there's a lot of GCW matches that you could have nominated. So why did you pick Alex Cologne versus Zachary Wentz at GCW Home? This... I liked this match. This was my favorite GCW. Well, so I didn't see Thomas's pick, which I know, like story wise, from what I was talking about with Ricky Champagne as a heel, I should have, I certainly should have seen this. I mean, I read about it online. Uh, Thomas's pick was Ricky Champagne versus Nick Gage at Run Ricky Run, which I know there is a lot of like story stuff around that that would have been a reason to pick that, and also just really established Ricky Champagne at the time as like the dominant heel. Um, still, something that I've been meaning to go back and watch, and I think I actually will. Um, but so I, a lot of times with like death matches, specifically death matches and street fights, it's like you see a lot of the same stuff and not that you saw a lot. We saw a lot of the same stuff in the parking lot brawl, but in Alex Sloan versus Zachary Wentz, I don't, I feel like I saw things in that match that I didn't think humans were capable of surviving. <laughs> And they've stuck with me. That was the, if you remember, call recall call in your memory, uh, GCW Homecoming Night 1, it was a preview for Tournament of Survival, so you knew it was going to be, like, wild. It The match itself, I felt like, was crazier than anything that happened on Tournament of Survival. It was, like, Zachary Wentz's, one of his first death matches, if I'm remembering uh, Kevin Gill's commentary correctly, uh, that he wanted to try a death match and... This was his attempt. And there was just moments where, like, there was that... It was the the GCW death match where, like, he did, like, a some kind of, like, senton 540 to the outside through, like, glass table. Like, multiple glass tables. Barbed wire. And it's just, like... And they both just got up and, like, at the end of the match, both of them got up and walked away. Like, Alex Colon is an absolute monster... And, like, another person... I don't know. It's something about GCW. Like, there's this, like... I, I wrote in the um, fourth issue of Torture Act about how, when I was a kid, death matches... The Mick Foley's death matches made wrestling seem more real to me. Like, that people were really getting hurt. People could die. I would say that that is true for a lot of GCW's death matches, too. It makes it feel very, like... Kind of, like, a bit, like, terrifying to watch in, like, a fun entertainment sort of way. Where oh, it's dude, like, it's, this is it was terrifying. The there were some times when people in GCW didn't have their wrists properly taped for some of these, um... Yeah. Oh, true, spots. yes. <laughs> that Joey Janela would point out frequently. Yes. Um, 
So, but yeah, that that match just really like blew my mind in a way that I think a death a really good death match would. And I felt for this category, I wanted to pick like a true death match and not just like a street fight. That's fair. I'm watching the highlights right now and watching um, Alex Clone dig the light tube into Zach's uh, oh forehead. And yeah, stuff it's like and... all that stuff. He either throws him off the top turnbuckle to the outside, or and he like flips. Or he does some kind of flip to the outside and misses Alex Cologne and gets dri- it's like the last spot of that match. And there might be fire in it too, or one. Of, it's close to the end of the match, maybe not the final spot. I think they do some in ring stuff after. I haven't watched. Oh it my since lord! We yeah, we he- saw it, but it stuck with me. I remember uh, after feeling like, yeah, here we this go. This could have been the main event. Yeah, that match just kept escalating it, and in a way where it's just like my mind was blown. So Spanish fly off the match. top rope onto another sheet of glass oh my lord like a basically a styles clash off the they're covered in blood by the end of this they're absolutely drenched in blood great choice johnny <laughs> our next category here is best oh no it's <laughs> it's the torture rack. I, I should be the one to announce this one go ahead my friend the torture rack wolf pack award for faction of the year uh this is the award that i argued we should not have because it was boring and all the factions were stupid this year john please um defend a faction that allowed its leader to get absolutely hornswoggled by dick togo like eight times in a row i knew that that was gonna like really knock down lij for you i chose los and governable stage upon for this uh category lij mostly because i was thinking about not necessarily i was like if we if you i felt like if you got too like into the weeds about like if you started giving points for like well that was the smartest faction then like maybe give it to bullet club because they you know drafted evil and evil cheated all year no they're they're certainly the most boring faction of the year bullet club but if we go if we go through the list of all of my favorite things don't want to reveal too many different things but a lot of my favorite things this year were courtesy of the members of LIJ, and I don't want to jump too far ahead on our categories, but I'll just say courtesy of Naito, Hiromu, and Shingo. All three of them are in top spots and sort of the top categories of the Rackies. So I feel like... Yeah, uh, if it's just like an accumulation of their members, yeah, they're obviously... Like the individual, the individual matches and moments that all of them had this year, I felt like outshined how horrible the evil dick togo stuff was for me you chose the dark order along with thomas Uh, under duress i chose something which was the dark order because it was basically an elimination game which was i did not like lij this year i thought they were dum-dums bullet club was super boring um i don't can't really recall anything chaos or anyone else did in new japan uh on the wwf side i mean it could have been uh, retribution because they were so awesome and t-bar is such a cool name <laughs> but yeah and then i thought uh AEW, it's like inner circles the big faction i kind of cringe when they come on tv these days they're just going to kind of take up a lot of screen time um even though i i like the individual members and stuff so i, I yeah they're fine but i wasn't gonna be like they're my best faction or I had the same thought about Inner Circle where it's like well they a lot of them had memorable matches and also like if you're kind of going to do it in a more like um ignoring your personal sort of opinions and kind of doing it in a more um 
objective like who just actually, like who had great yeah, objective matches. like who had the best year like best matches best yeah they, who was the smartest faction they like, had a they had a great feuds uh with moxley but i think that was mostly last year um yeah and yeah this year like the mjf sub's interesting they're, they're not my favorite faction Derek order i choose as the best um turnaround of a of a faction that was like we used to make fun of and now and they they turned out to be pretty great um they're the only faction i can think of making an impact in my head like other than bullet club obviously interfering which was annoying them standing yeah. out on the the entranceway while the match is going on and like sort of intimidating people that was the only like memorable faction thing i could really think of and i'm very interested to see sort of where the story goes now that they've lost their beloved leader and they seem to be flirting with hangman yeah, I'm liking that. The Tope, the Tope Suicida Award for Best High Flyer. You cut this to the to the last minute, John. You chose Ray Fenix, who I almost chose also. This was the hardest one. Yeah, there's so many people you could go with for this category. Uh, but I don't know, man. Yeah, Phoenix deserved an award and... Are you changing your? You were gonna yeah. go. We're gonna, gonna all go. We're gonna all it? go for Ray Phoenix on this because I thought you were gonna be the one who was gonna talk about Alex Zane. Oh yeah, I mean he was a contender for sure. That's why I waited so long. But just in retrospect, like thinking about like I don't know, just anything Ray Phoenix does, like it's all it's all so fluid, so good, so energetic, and I yeah, who like who who he's just so consistent like in all of his matches he deserves this award more than anyone but, yeah he really does yeah. i was just trying to shine a little bit of love onto gcw but there actually is a considerable amount of love quite a quite a bit shine, and so. it's it's funny uh not to jump to the next category but we now have two categories in a row that are unanimous and i think also like the de facto person for this award which you can go ahead and well i'll just talk about ray for just a second like Sure. Just to your point, I don't know. The people in contention for this award, uh, Fenix, uh, Nick Jackson was in contention for this as well. He's gotten enough awards. So Alex Zane was fantastic in the GCW matches. I didn't I didn't see quite enough of him to justify this over Ray Fenix. And Lucha Bros were almost my choice for best tag team of the year because they are just like so good. Like, how could you argue against them? You made a great point that they may be breaking up. Uh, sometime soon because the like aw tag division is just stacked and they had that match against each other yeah you know another high flyer that i had on my mind for this award was hiromu actually um but because hiromu kind of like functioned a little bit like during covid as a heavyweight i felt like you know his high flying tech tactics were used but i don't think to their full ability in the way they were like in the osprey match i was gonna say Um, osprey was in contention as well but just like spent most of the year like not wrestling if we're going memorable high flying spot of the year, Osprey jumping over the turnbuckle, clearing a G one, Kenta Kobashi award for Haas of the year. <laughs> we all picked the stalwarts, Tomohiro Ishii. I thought about picking Shingo, even though he's not like technically a Haas. He can operate as a Haas against yeah the way he throws Tomo. people around for sure. He throws people like, around the way he takes like chops and and punishment like he is a absolute beast but yeah john why'd you pick tomo 
you know, same reason. He's been all of my favorite New Japan match. Not all of them, but a lot of my favorite New Japan matches this year. Ishii was in. He is an absolute beast. He's definitely someone that I think is... I mean, we everyone probably listening to this is in unanimous agreement that he is often overlooked uh, in New Japan. As, uh, you know, he gets his featured matches with people like Shingo... Uh, and Jeff Cobb, and they're memorable, and they're sick, and hard-hitting, and uh, sometimes hard to watch, but um, yeah, I, I just, I, he's one of my absolute favorite, like, rest, wrestlers in general, um, like, I, there's never a time where he is on screen that I don't want to watch, and I think that's very not, like, there are times where I'm just, like, with other wrestlers that I'm, like, really big fan of, it's like, okay, I get it, like, I'm not I'm not really into this right now, but Ishii never I never feel that way about. Uh yeah. He he's just so good. He I delivers can't think of punishment a and he receives punishment. Like yep. as yeah. good as anybody. I He brings the reality that I was talking about with like GCW to his matches. Probably possibly sometimes to a fault, but like yeah. I considered picking a Valter. But I've only seen oh. like two of his matches. Um, but based on that Ilya match alone, just the um, the chops that he hits, like he is, he's a mountain of a man, and he is merciless in his. In I his forgot how much I liked Walter in watching. We we we, we watched uh, Ilya versus Walter, and yeah, you didn't like I, it. I, I know you I didn't like it. I. <laughs> Because of a passing comment that I made, uh, I, I was just being inflammatory. I liked it. I just didn't like. I was not blown away in the way I thought I would be, um, just because of how hyped up that match was. I like, and I did like the match. Thought it was great, um, like so insane and great to see Walter again. Uh, I he's one of my favorite roster members of all of the WWE universe. Uh, if we're going to use that term, um, you know, I. I miss seeing him like his feud with Pete Dunne was one of my favorites uh, of 2019. Um, and yeah, uh, the two, the two of them like that. I don't know that that's definitely a feud for me. That's like, if I'm looking, looking back on the last like five years of wrestling or so, like that's one that stands out for me. Like Walter showing up during Pete Dunne's long reign. Now Walter is the longest reigning NXT champion. Like, and the longest running WWE champion across the company right now. Oh, across all brands, right? Yeah, yeah. I I loved the match. It might it might even make my top ten for the year of of the year. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I loved the idea that like Ilya also has that. He's 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 like a hoss at heart. Ilya reminded me a lot of Suzuki in that sense. He's like mm, more that's more, a cool comparison. More diminutive, yeah. but like absolutely fucking batshit crazy. Just like a little stringy guy with crazy eyes who is just like gonna throw crazy headbutts um i just loved walter just using his reach to just like smack this guy down and just like chop him like walter looks like the stiffest wrestler and that might all just be like you know because like the chop is like one of those ones you can't really fake like, and you, you can, can we like we know we don't know what it feels like to get a chop from walter but like i feel like it's an easier one to understand how it would hurt this was um one of the two categories where I considered picking someone based on one single match. Uh, mm. <laughs> I did not do it in both categories, but I will bring up the next one. But yeah, Ishii, Kenta Kabashi Award. He deserves it. He deserves more. Next category. 
best tag team of the year. It's pretty obvious that this is going to lay into the AEW domain since they have the best tag division. John, your choice didn't upset me. It upset it you? It did not upset me. Oh. Did not. Did not make me. Did not make me mad. <laughs> there was a glitch, and it said it sounded like you said, "John, your choice." It upset me. <laughs> John, your choice did not upset me. Did not make me mad, but it did confuse me. John, make your case for the Butcher and the Blade as tag <laughs> team of the year of 2020. You know, sometimes it's just a feeling when you're grading and rating and sort of thinking about what your favorites are. Um, through and through, uh, throughout all the year, I am always so excited to see the Butcher and the Blade in a match. It, it, like even like going back, like in our early in like our earlier episodes when we were covering Dark, like I loved seeing them on Dark, and they were one of the reasons why I was watching Dark because they weren't getting featured on the uh, main roster at the time. They were doing a lot of stuff on Dark, and then Kingston came in, made Eddie Kingston's family. They got featured a lot. They were utilized heavily throughout the beginning, early days of COVID. And I feel like really stepped up and went from being a team I didn't really know very much about, like when they debuted, like around Thanksgiving of 2019. I remember both of us just being like, who who the hell are these people? And then over the year, just like, it's been really, that's the thing with the AW. It's just like been really fun to like get to know a new, new wrestlers and be exposed to people that you maybe didn't know you would be such a big fan of. And to the point that I really hope that they get the tag belts sometime, the butcher versus mocks the and the butcher versus pack, like their singles match, his singles matches. Some of my favorite singles matches in AEW. Uh, I just love his Haas energy. Like, yeah, I don't know. He's the butcher is a performer is one of my favorites on AEW's roster. So uh, when best tag team category came to mind, I actually really didn't have to think too much about it. Uh, I just knew who would pick them. Uh, it's a great choice. Uh, I I think at first I, I resented them a little bit when they were on the roster. I thought they had a really good spot. And I was like, these guys are just like a look. Like they're just like. Right. You know steampunk I mean? looking. Yeah. Like kind of. The butcher and the blade. And he looked like an old timey fucking butcher, like with a, like a monocle and stuff. And then other times they were dressing like the national. Um, and I was like a little bit confused by them. Uh, over the year, I see that they're just fantastic. They're not they're not flashy wrestlers. They're more in the FTR tradition of just like they're they're brawlers. They're old school wrestlers, and they're they're both great. Like they're they're awesome. They're an awesome tag team in a in a weaker year of tag teams. Yeah, absolutely. I could see myself choosing them. And I, I again, like you, I think they'll also have a great next year. And uh, or this year, as it were, they and it should be mentioned, they had an excellent street fight with your and Thomas's pick, the Young Bucks. This was an interesting choice because we've been complaining a lot about the Young Bucks and them as like characters. I'm like actually not a huge fan of at the moment. Um, having said that, how good must you be to like still rank? <laughs> as best tag team when you like I mean they were a contender like for characters. me too yeah, the, yeah. basically it came down to this when I thought of my four favorite tag matches of the year they were in all of they them they were in all of them they were in yeah. all of them they were in yeah, every single yeah. one so I was like I have to pick them those tag team matches oh yeah name them uh, FTR versus Young Bucks number one that's not number number one. four that's number four. I didn't know I was ranked. Okay. Um, you don't need to rank them. I'm just counting. Yeah, okay. Them yeah, that's number three. Yeah. Um, uh, the Young Bucks 
versus Kenny Omega and Hangman Cowboy Bebop. From number two, uh, uh, FTR and the Young Bucks versus the Butcher and the Blade and the Lucha Bros. One of my favorites from the year two. Number one. I literally can't remember what the other one was. <laughs> they were in four of my favorite matches. Three and four. Here's, uh, here's the, three. I can't remember the those other one. Those three are very those are very memorable matches though. Yeah. Um, There's another one I can't think of, but it was a huge match this year and they were in it. There was a, oh, uh it's nothing Stadium Stampede. They were in that. That's not a tag match, but But that wasn't a tag match. No. Yeah. Okay, maybe it was I only mean, they've three. Had, maybe it's only three. But those three, those are very three, three very good matches. Those are very three, very three matches. <laughs> those are very three matches. Yeah, uh, Thomas picked it as well. Um, it, that's not hard to believe. Thomas is a as a ride or die young buck fan. So just imagine like how much we like these guys, and we don't even really like them. He likes them even more. <laughs> Next category, we have greatest grappling gal, female work rate of the year. We split on this category, John. You all three of us. All three yeah. of us, John. You picked Sasha Banks from WWE. Uh, why did you pick Sasha Banks? The women's division in WWE is one thing that one reason why, maybe the only reason why I keep watching their pay per views. I mean, I know we haven't watched the recent ones, but just going back through the year and thinking about like what standout women's matches or women's performers there were, like Sasha Banks. Is just so good, and her long feud with Bailey this year, I felt, was one of the more memorable like female storylines. And you didn't even uh, see and- their best match at Hell in a Cell. They're like their defining match. No, I think I watched that. Oh, did you? Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I watched that. I yeah, I definitely did. That was the only thing I watched on that show. I think. Um, I remember thinking, yeah, because I remember thinking that the card was very short. Um, <laughs> and then I just watched, I was like, oh, I don't have to watch all these other matches. I'll just watch oh, this. Oh, sick. Uh, but yeah, she she's just so good. And like, uh, I don't know, it's weird. Like, we oftentimes talk about this in texts that one of the reasons why we feel that the WWE women's division is booked well is because they're not bogged down by like 30 years of legends taking up screen time and story time where it's like, well, Sasha Banks and Charlotte and Bailey and Rhea Ripley. And, you know, a lot of the current female wrestlers are the best female wrestlers that have appeared in WWE. Yeah. I mean, give it or take a couple people. Charlotte would be the like, best case for somebody taking up too much room and, Yes. She's also, like, one of the best ever. So it's, like... And she's still in her prime, so it's hard to make that case. Cause and also, so like... I mean, I know this category is not necessarily, like, best women's division, but you have people like Asuka tearing the whole year up. Who was your pick? Uh, why did you pick Asuka? I feel underqualified for this... For this award. Uh, having not seen a lot of, like, the great stardom stuff that, like, Thomas has been watching. Likewise, yeah. Ha- having not been watching NXT, which I am guessing it this award should actually go to Io Shirai. Like, I'm guessing if I watched all of Io Shirai's matches, I would have picked Io Shirai. Um, but Asuka, like, she was the... I w- she was, like, kind of the sole reason that I was excited for a lot of cards this year. Like, seeing her on certain cards, I was like, oh, 
hell yeah. Like seeing she was going to fight Sasha and Bailey, I was like, two Asuka matches? Like, bring it on. Obviously, we only get really got one. But yeah, every match that she had, I thought was like really good, even on crappy cards. Uh, she just buoyed my enjoyment of WWE so much. And she's had a great run with the championship. I mean, she wouldn't have if Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair wouldn't have been out, probably. But the fact that she was, I was like, let's just celebrate that we got a year of just like, of Asuka. I, I love Asuka. She was awesome. But yeah, agreed. Overall, the, the, the this category probably should have gone to someone in stardom based off of those matches that we watched. Yes. Uh, so we watched one one match with Thomas's choice, which was Yuka Sakazaki. I can't remember who her opponent was, but I almost just picked Yuka Sakazaki just because it was such a great match, but it felt like a cop-out to pick, uh, pick a wrestler who I've only seen one match of the year. Obviously, she was in AEW a little bit last year, but yeah, due to uh, COVID, they lost their Joshi wrestlers in AEW. Uh, they lost Britt Baker and Chris Atlander for most of the year, so um, another person I considered was Thunder Rosa, the oh, yeah. AD, uh, NWA champion, but yeah, just felt like I hadn't seen enough of her matches to really make that call. I think this year, that's like one thing I want to start getting into more is I want to subscribe to Stardom's channel, maybe over the, like in the summertime, yeah. uh, or maybe now too. Uh, I know Thomas, I think subscribe to their uh, network, but yeah, I, w- I genuinely do want to see more Stardom and really only watch WWE because they have a strong women's division and I'm positive that the stardom division is even stronger. So at, at the moment is the, is the only thing that like, yeah, they have over AEW in, in that sports yeah, entertainment sort absolutely. of landscape and NJPW, which is amazing, doesn't have their own women's division. So, uh, and, and we've just slept on NXT this year. So yeah, that's absolutely something we need to get better at. Okay, here we go. Best bout boy. Male work rate of the year. John, you chose the current NJPW Never Openweight Champion, Shingo Takagi. You know it. I mean, just listing his matches, Shingo versus Okada, Shingo versus Suzuki, Shingo versus Ibushi, Shingo versus Ishii, Shingo versus Goto. He has had... Has it, is there anyone in New Japan that he hasn't had like an incredible match with this year? You can like, you can even name people he hasn't had matches with, and you can just imagine how good they are. Like that's how good he yeah. is. Like I, I Shingo versus Osprey. Like so many matches this year happened where it, like in a year where like wrestling kind of had to take a back seat because of the pandemic, he somehow has managed to have like a match with everyone on the roster. Basically, that's such a great point. Um, and to me, and those were the matches like, um, like when we were watching the G1 in that onslaught of like 40 hours of wrestling in like 30 days, like, uh, his matches were the ones that I was always like, okay, here we go. I'm so excited. Uh, and most, almost every time I was like satisfied or like, you know, psyched about it, uh, Mark, you chose Kota Ibushi, who was also a contender for mine, but I, I like Shingo as a performer and character more than Ibushi. Well, this uh, is work rate. Who, I, I know, I'm just saying, like, that is a thing that, like, the characters, his character makes me like his matches more. So, like, uh, Shingo's character makes me like his matches more than I like Ibushi's matches. And that's not, that's like saying, like, 
I gave him an A, a and Shingo got an A plus yeah. or something. I would never choose Ibushi for best wrestler over all of the year because he's not like my favorite character. I don't find him that compelling as a character. Uh, when I thought of work rate of the year, I looked back at our G one standings mm-hmm. because to me, oh. the, the greatest work rate of the year was in the G one. So it was obviously going to be... His matches are incredible. It was going to be someone from the G1. So I just looked at, like, who we rated the highest and who had, like, per average, like, the, the best matches. And, like, Kota Ibushi was at the top. Um, yeah, I, you absolutely could make a case for, for Shingo. Um, but when I think of the Kota matches from the G1, Kota versus... Dude, that's true. You're about to change my mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Kota versus Taichi. The kick match. That's what I was just gonna say, dude. The kick match. The kick match oh my kicks. god. Co- oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I might. You might be changing my mind here. Coda versus Suzuki. Coda versus Suzuki uh, was incredible. Yeah. Obviously, like Coda versus Jay White, I thought was fucking great as well. Um, Coda versus Okada at uh, Rest Kingdom last year is like one of the best matches of the year. Like when I just stacked it up, it was just like, oh, obviously this is Coda's year. Like. You just changed my mind. Boom. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, we do not have a good represent representative for Thomas's choice, which is <laughs> Go- you must be in- uh, enraged at Thomas's choice. Oh, is that because he was in the stair match? Yeah. Um, I wasn't hundred percent sure if he was, but yeah, now that I think about it, cause I said that he didn't go. Um, I actually just started, um, his most recent match that he had in November. Um, before we started recording this, I wasn't able to finish it. But uh, I'm gonna I'm mm. gonna put it on again later because apparently he's had some great matches this year or last year, and I look forward to to seeing more of them. Um, the Starfest, uh, not for me. I like it as a conceptual piece of art, I suppose, and I like that we've talked about it. But like in in pra- practice, if I'm not sitting there drawing, and I'm just staring at a screen for thirty minutes, I don't want to just see people <laughs> staring at each other. Um, but dude, yeah, like uh, we don't need to no, get into let's, it. Please like let's not. Togo. We've yeah. talked about it too much. <laughs> yeah, there should be some like hot button issues that we just move on for. And you're absolutely right that that's that, that's one of them. Um, moment of the year. So this is our our, our favorite moment of professional wrestling. Um, John, you had an easy one. Naito winning the heavyweight intercontinental belts. You were there. It literally cut to you on camera. You know it. Uh, yep. Yeah, I don't know, like, was there any... There's not much to say. Was there like, anything yeah, else that even, I mean, like, came into conversation for this? No, there's no no doubt. Like, I like there were a few of these categories I had thought about for a while, but, yeah, there was no doubt that this was the moment of the year. It's, like, the moment of professional wrestling. My professional wrestling watching as an adult, I would say, will probably be defined by that moment. Uh, you know, there will be other things that I'm, like, excited about. But, I don't know, just something, like, you know... Um, New Japan really like reignited my love of professional wrestling and just being on that journey to seeing Naito win those belts and actually being there for it. it I don't know. It's I don't I don't know that like there will be another there will probably there will, I d- hopefully at least one more time in my life will experience that kind of like long term storytelling that you know rolls out over years and then I get to experience the the sort of finale in person like I, it's like most a, people very rare moment. most people live their whole fucking lives john without getting even a sliver <laughs> of that kind of catharsis in their lives do you know how many things in my life are unresolved good lord <laughs> i 
That's terrible. Sorry, bro. I uh, I literally could not think of what to pick for this. Like when it comes to a moment, I can't think of a moment. I'm sure it existed. I'm sure there was a moment where I popped harder than anything. My stand-in for this was the FTR debut on Dynamite because I did pop enormously for that, and I did remember thinking like things are going to change. Like AW is going to be different now that these guys are here. Uh, and it did. That's it true. did. It hasn't yeah. like the it, it it hasn't been the seismic shift that I was hoping because I I, I do really think they dropped the ball on that story. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. gonna let this one play out. But yeah, I, can you think of anything like a moment? It like you'd think it would be a debut or something. I didn't care that much about Sting. That was this year actually. Um, I mean I cared. It was fun. Um, but like other debuts, I think that was it. That was in December actually. Oh, cool. It was okay, last okay, year. Okay. Um, Brody Lee, that that was great debut. So I have one for you on my I if we go through our G chats, one of the times I was most excited this yeah. year, you were absent from one episode of Dynamite <laughs> where a colossal <laughs> debut happened that you missed. Yeah. I almost honestly picked that as my moment of the year, which was like I was on a date and I missed Miro's debut. So I and I th- and my excitement that in those texts to Thomas. I, I don't I mean there's definitely other moments that we've been watching wrestling where I've been excited and freaking out but like I like was not expecting Miro to pop up there you and I had been hoping to see him as fans of Miro and Rusev yeah. uh, in WWE we both you know really liked his I mean when he he was in WWE we were fans of his and we were really hoping to see him in New Japan or AEW and. I just remember like melting down when that happened. And like, I would say as a asterisk next to this, it's like me excited on your behalf that Miro is now in AEW. Yeah. That literally can't be a moment for me. That was, I was, that was the only dynamite I missed all year. Yeah. And Cody's, it's funny. You missed that. And then I missed revolution live. Right. We met, we both missed like crucial AEW live moments Thomas chose Cody's moonsault off the steel cage, which, I mean, that was a crazy spot, and I think... I'm just going to say it, because no one else has the balls to say it, but I'm going to say it. Thomas is on the Nightmare Family payroll. He's, he's getting <laughs> kickbacks. I bet his dog Max and Pharaoh hang out all the time. Thomas? <laughs> Thomas, is, is at home in one of the jogging... Like the uh, Nightmare, Family. Nightmare Family jogging sweatsuits? Yeah, he's got one. He's at home right he's now home, listening to this. sitting there being like, what the... F- how does he know... Uh, Thomas, I'm calling you out, officially. I demand that you respond. (laughs) Um, Speaking of great promos that I just delivered to Thomas, um, promos of the year. This was legitimately very tough, but it probably came down to a couple people for both of us. John, you landed the same place I landed. Eddie Kingston. Had to go with Eddie Kingston. I wanted to... uh... Shot him out in some award this year, and I felt like, yeah, I don't know who, like, Cody is was a contender for sure. He's had some very memorable promos. Uh, Mox has had some great promos this year, but... I think yeah, those are the Kingston, three guys in contention, right? Yeah. Kingston just on a whole different level and just his whole story and the, the, the promos that he's cutting and the story he's telling, like, the, the like... My favorite promo of the year was Eddie Kingston crashing into Dynamite and facing Cody and then getting a, getting signed. That was my promo, favorite promo of yeah, the year. Yeah, Kingston talking about like selling his, his wrestling boots to pay rent and stuff and just sort of what it meant to him. 
that thing that you said before about um, MJF playing a character, as much as I love Mox, I see that. Like, I can see him playing that character. Uh, yes. But when yeah. I see Eddie Kingston, I don't think that. I'm just like, this is this guy lives and breathes this. He's the only guy that you could make a case for that. That's why he's there. Like, he's the only one that, like, without his promos, like, you know, probably wouldn't be in the spot that he was in. Whereas Cody Rhodes would be, Moxley would be. He's on, he's there in his spot on the strength of his promos. He talked himself into the position yes. he has. So I think that yes. that, that like, alone is a, is a good in, choice. Meaning, like, promote his way into mm-hmm. it, not like... Yeah, like, lied at, like lied to the doorman or something like that to be, like, <laughs> yeah, let in. Yeah. yeah. And Thomas chose Cody. Which Cody was my game. second choice. Like every single time that guy gets a fucking mic. I think there was only one promo that I didn't like by the end of it go like, holy shit, he's got me. I think it was the one where he's like, <laughs> where he said no to Brody. He's like, I say to you, uh, no, no fear, no mercy. I was like, okay, this is kind of <laughs> stupid. But every time, even when he would start a promo and I'd be like, all right, Cody, like I get it. You're going to take up 10 minutes. You're going to tell a story and it's going to like, change he still gets me every time like when he does that like he's a master he's an absolute master yeah like the fact that he so doesn't didn't win this is just a, a testament to how great eddie kingston is period yeah absolutely wrestling show of the year top three categories John now and thomas chose the same event which was njpw wrestle kingdom 14 i mean yeah why was this Obviously, the best show of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Hiromu versus Osprey, Naito's coronation, Ibushi versus Jay White, death ma- Texas death match between Moxley and Lance you Archer. Bet you were literally there like, in Japan in the <laughs> dome. Yeah, it, it was by far my favorite show. I've rewatched it a few times. Like, yeah, it's so good. Uh, without a doubt, my favorite show. Mark, you chose something else. Okay. Why did you cho- choose this? I cannot argue that Wrestle Kingdom 14 was is obviously the best wrestling show from like a work rate perspective. There's there's just there's no really other choice that I can think of. Um Revolution was awesome, AEW as I recall. Um Dude, yeah, Sammy Guevara versus Darby Allen, that crazy short it's like ten minute match, but just like spot for spot for yeah. spot. And all the other matches as well. When yeah. I'm honest with myself about the joy that I had over 2020 and which show I enjoyed watching the most, probably had something to do with the fact that like watching Wrestle Kingdom, you can never do it live because it was happening like in the middle of the night for me. So I always had to like kind of watch it on playback. I mean, it was amazing seeing like, yeah, like you and Thomas and like the matches were great. But when I think <laughs> about like the joy that I had, like, over the summer during lockdown, watching those first couple GCW shows that we watched was just like just the most fun I had all year. Like I loved watching those shows. Yeah. I loved the fact that they were outside when we were stuck inside. Um, I loved how just like homespun they felt after like watching so much like slick WWF or WWE presentation and how much of a of a of a of a counterpoint like we've said like we get everything service we have like um more sports presentation in New Japan more uh sports entertainment 
in WWE and AW, and then with GCW you get something completely different, which is just like a DIY silly warts and all hardcore presentation that actually has great matches. Like you could say all that. I almost picked uh, GCW backyard because I think I was like the backyard too because that was actually in somebody's backyard <laughs> there was like the pool and there was just like so much silly stuff um but i don't know if you remember but the work rate on gcw homecoming was actually excellent like almost every match on it was actually Dude, yeah. really really good and so when i combine like those good vibes those summertime vibes of gcw homecoming with the actual like excellent matches that happened i was like this is probably pound for pound the jo- the show i enjoyed the most yeah, Yoshihiku versus Joey Janela. Janela versus Leo Rush happened on this. Like, dude, yeah, like uh, I agree. I, I do think I I also uh, echo that sentiment that uh, that that was like the early days of lockdown where we were watching GCW. I feel like I will be nostalgic for that. Like I like ordering a pizza from like my favorite pizza place in New York. Firing up GCW, watching the Spider Nate Web ad like forty five times with you and Thomas in prep for like a, a show that you know is going to be so fun to watch. Yeah. Like regardless of what happens or who wrestles each other, like every show, like the backyard two GCW, the world, Dude, the worlds two, GCW, where the guy Homecoming blew up at the end. Like <laughs> yeah. I was watching that Thomas House, yeah. just like shocked. But yeah, I remember, I remember where I was when I watched each of those shows. Yeah, like Schlock's fireworks show, like just Yeah. It I should have chosen as my favorite it, moment, wrestling moment of the year. I can't remember what show it was, but when they couldn't get the like cherry picker to go up high enough. <laughs> that was the backyard. Yeah, where it was like they were trying to light something up. They were on trying to light things on fire, they couldn't and... get it on fire, they couldn't get the thing to go up high enough, and at a certain point he was like, fuck it, and just like he just jumped off basically. Um but yeah, this yeah. was this was my choice of like I split the difference between actual like you wouldn't watch this and just be horrified. You know what I mean? It's not it's not just like dirt carny wrestling. Like there's that's what's so good about GCW. They have all this stuff that you love from backyard wrestling, but they actually have some of the most talented people in the game who are gonna end up going to like AEW and WWE and NJPW and already have. And New Japan, yeah. Them. Yeah, yeah. Alright, top two. We have the Okada Prize. For match of the match year. Match of the year. We uh, see eye to eye on this one. You and Thomas see eye to eye. Oh, misread the list. Me and Thomas see eye to eye on this one. I was 100% sure you were going to pick either Okada, Naito, or Okada, Ibushi. Yeah, I mean, those matches are some of my favorite match, top five in my top five of the year for sure, but like... Uh, from I felt like match of the year had to go to like the work rate. Yeah match that like so moment of the year by far like not even close like i don't i don't even really care about the winner of this match that i chose which is hiromu versus osprey like i just love the match and i think that that is why i picked it as match of the year i didn't wasn't concerned about necessarily who won the match it was just a complete spectacle that like i just like i mean i know it was there but then when we rewatched it like just watching it it's just like how how are these two people doing all of this like it's just a a wrestling spectacle that i think is unrivaled by most 
other matches, including some matches that I loved, Naito Okada. That's my number two match. Um, but just from an in-ring perspective, the work that Osprey and Hiromu did in that match was absolutely insane. Yeah, we rewatched it actually recently for our Supercard. We each picked three of our favorite matches yep. of the year. Um, and we'll, we'll be seeing some more of those in our upcoming Torture Act magazine. Issue five. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against this one. With with match of the year, we've seen so many good matches this year. Like, I don't know if there's ever been a time where we would be just so drowned in good matches to the point where putting together a top ten is like literally very difficult. Like, super hard. Actually yeah. really hard. For me, there was a lot of contenders, but there was only just one that I thought about every single time. Like, every single time I was like, okay, well, obviously... Cowboy Bebop versus the Young Bucks from Revolution is in the conversation. And there were other ones that I, that I swirled around, but I felt like I had to think about them too much where I never had to think about this one. And rewatching it, again, recently for our Supercard, uh, yeah, it's, it, I think it was the only like A-plus match that I gave all year. Uh, it's It's perfect. It's a great match. It's, just, it's yeah. absolutely perfect. Now that we're talking about it, I kind of, I might de- default to, I might change mine to Naito Okada. <laughs> Even though I just made a great case for I, why I picked Hiromu versus Honestly, Oscar. I knew you loved this match, but uh, I just was like baffled that you chose. Like I figured this could be a Thomas match, but I figured uh, as far as matches that meant the most to you, I, 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 I'm surprised. Okay, now he's changing it. So why Naito versus Okada, John? <laughs> and not the more <laughs> lauded night before match. Oh, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, so I, I liked Okada versus Ibushi. I, I, lo- I, lo- I mean, I loved it. But I, at the time when we were watching it, it's something that I've brought up when we, you, me, and Thomas are watching wrestling a lot. Thomas made an excellent point uh, after that match so when we watched it that when we were there i was like this that was great but it felt slow at the start and i i didn't necessarily appreciate that as a person in like that was there well those uh, nights just are felt like five like, hours each too like it was long yeah and i was just like this feels kind of slow for like these two guys but then thomas pointed out like i, I believe that possibly the match that happened before uh that was Hiromu versus Osprey. Maybe. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it would have been Naito J. White, actually. But anyways, uh, he pointed out that like they needed to cool the crowd down to then set the stage for the later part of that match. And if you go back and watch it, that's exactly what happened. And I, I think about that often when a match starts out slow. Because we're so conditioned to like like barn burner AEW opening matches that are like 20 minutes and it's just bell to bell, crazy yeah. wild moves and spots, or even the singles matches like pack for versus butcher Una versus Dustin. Like those matches are like short, like maybe eight minutes, seven minutes. And they're just move, 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 punch, 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 lots of strikes and stuff. So there's not a lot of like breathing room. Whereas that match has a lot of breathing room, but Naito versus Okada I mean, for what I just said earlier, why it was my moment of the year, it has to be my match of the year. Like you said, very few people even get to experience the kind of like narrative catharsis that I experienced while watching this journey that Nida went on. And, you know, to it's just the match itself was great. 
he hit he hits the uh, Stardust Press at the end, and you know, it's just the subtle storytelling that happens in it is so good. And now that we're talking about it more, it has to be this match. I'm glad to see that. I've very poorly articulated it on the podcast before, but I do have that problem with Okada sometimes and his matches that they start off slow sometimes. And with Okada and Kota's a little bit of the same way, like he'll he'll have that sort of slow pace starting off sometimes. So putting the two of them in, in the ring together, like I do have that feeling. Like like when they fought in the G1, I, I, I didn't think it was like that great a match. Like it was a little bit too slow, but when they do have the time to like build that, that epic match, uh, yeah, and and yeah, Naito and Okada, another great match. Like it's really hard to argue against any of these matches. They're all absolutely fantastic, and you should see all of them if you haven't. And finally, our last award, the exalt unanimous decision. The, yeah, unanimous decision for the exalted one, which is the Brody Lee Memorial Best Wrestler of the Year, John Moxley. I don't think it could have been anyone else. Depend like just considering how much we talked about him last year and how he was changing the game, him at Bloodsport fighting against Dickinson uh, while he was the AEW world champion. Now Kenny's doing it, but it was like when we first saw Mox like fighting in different promotions and stuff, we were like, we were blown away. And we like, he like changed the game last year. Yeah. And just his sort of, from the surprise crash in at double or nothing through his championship reign, it's just like he killed yeah. it. Like it, I don't know. Yeah, like like I I was never a big Shield guy. Like I didn't really watch WWE when they were at their height, but I did enjoy Dean Ambrose's matches that I did see when I was watching WWE. But it, you know, like a lot of this, like we don't need to. That's another topic that is like overly like overly discussed ad nauseum the just his the mishandling of his character uh at the end but like to go from that to where he's at now it's like two, almost two different people he was always my least favorite member of the shield i think it was because he was never allowed to really be himself like it was like close you get glimpses of it yeah um and then just immediately him as himself as john moxley cutting these promos i know i just said you can sort of see him acting, but I'm, I'm <laughs> literally, I'm splitting hair so much. I'm nitpicking so much because like his promos, he, his promos were incredible. Like the ones where he would, he would, he would be like, you know what? Maybe this is the end of the day. Like for me, you know, he's sitting at a bar or whatever. He's just talking to you. He's the world champion. He's just talking to you. He's, he's the one, he's, he's the, and, he's the man. And it's just like, I don't know. Like I mentioned earlier, why I picked the butcher and the blade. It's similar. Like I didn't have strong investment in, Dean Ambrose and I did not expect him to become like one of my favorite wrestlers like ever over the last year and a half but he definitely did totally. like yeah just how he fought he like yeah his wild match with Chris Dickinson and Bloodsport as you mentioned and all of his title defenses and just what he's done in AEW has been such a joy to watch and talk about with you over this last year and yeah, I'm excited to see what else he does. It's cool that the Lucha Bros were backing him up this past week. I really like that that is happening. I'm sure we're going to get something completely different with him. We like AEW does such a good job of sort of like refreshing like feuds and sort of like letting things breathe and then doing something new at the same time. And 
I have no idea what he's going to do. And I'm surprised, like, I mean, COVID is the reason we didn't see him at, wait a minute, did you? So not, this kind of, we're kind of jumping in. We're, we're going to talk about Wrestle Kingdom, but maybe this is a great sort of segue into Wrestle Kingdom. There is an incredible promo from John Moxley that airs just before Kenta and Kojima's match and at Wrestle Kingdom. And yeah, if there's any, like any doubt as to why he is the exalted one, it's like, just watch that promo. Like to your, what you were saying about him being a playing character, that promo, you're like, that guy is the death rider. He is the boogeyman of new Japan. And he's, he's there to like brawl and kind of destroy stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I that that's that is a contender for early year favorite promo is that for sure. Like that's been my favorite promo of 2021 so far. Uh, and I know it's like pre-taped, so maybe it's like <laughs> kind of like disqualifies it a little no, bit for a promo of the year. So. But I think uh, a lot of the good promos were actually yeah, pre-taped it's just like stomping around. It's it's sick. There's like it's like this like vignette of like a horse riding through like a field and like it's like it starts out some like narration or something like about death rider. And then it cuts to him stomping around in the ring, talking about how he's the boogeyman of new Japan and that he's waiting for Kenta. It's, it's like, Oh, okay. Well, that's awesome. And I can't wait to see that. I really can't wait to Uh, to see them fight. I figured it would have happened by now. Um, yeah. I mean, COVID is the only reason it hasn't happened. Yeah. But yeah, Moxley, Um, he was the guy, uh, the only other person that came to my head was was Kenny Omega, just because he also was in so many of those great matches, had a great year with uh, uh, Adam Page, had probably Feud of the Year. We didn't put Feud of the Year. We should have put that. I would have given it to the, the evolving story of Kenny Omega and Adam Page. That is one of the more memorable ones for sure. I actually can't right now think of anything that I would put over that like rank over that at the moment like off the top of my head yeah like we we don't need to make the category but feud of the year omega versus hang so those are were the rockies 2020 for 2020 can't wait to wind the year back again in 2022 so we've been talking a lot about wrestle kingdom 14 but recently we finally saw wrestle kingdom 15 Nights one and two. This came fast. When it was like, oh, it's happening this weekend. Did you get that feeling, or were you were you ready for it the whole the whole time? I was ready for it, but I remember te- texting you and you being like, "Are you kidding me? Like, is it is it two days away? What do you mean it's tomorrow?" Uh, yeah, I I think I think it's only because G one was later like a year ago that in the year this time. That's yes. Why. I think that that's why, and it doesn't feel like a year since the last Wrestle Kingdom either. Right. Like, I mean, time this year has been very weird since we've all yeah. It's been, been a year down, and so ten like, years at the same time, and half a year as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So night night one, I my the the main event of night one was absolutely incredible, like a perfect professional wrestling match. Ibushi versus Naito. Ibushi wins and. I just like the two of them have such good chemistry together. Like they've had multiple matches against each other that are always good. And this it's like a lot of times in new Japan, it's like these guys have fought a lot. How are they going to top what they've done before? And somehow like oftentimes new Japan and specifically the wrestlers that are facing each other, find a way to do it. And absolutely the top of this card. Yeah. I I was not sure if this was going to be the match of the weekend for me. 
Uh, but mm-hmm. it ended up being the match of the weekend. Our only unanimous uh, five stars also from the weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. fantastic match. The, yeah, they do have crazy chemistry together. Oh my gosh, some of uh, Naito's German suplexes on Ibushi, like right to the top of his head. Like, yeah. they, they're working on such a high level where like things can go wrong like so easily, but like they're they're just both such pros that they can pull off these in- insane moves. Yeah, there's something about the way they work together where it's extremely fluid while also seeming completely devastating. Yeah. Like it's like controlled chaos in a way that I I I don't know there there are a few other people probably that come to mind that have that kind of chemistry, but like it's this just like yeah, it's a un uh, uh intentionally unhinged match. I don't I don't know, it's like yeah, the two the two of them together it's hard to go wrong and they yeah really this this was my favorite match of this wrestle kingdom by far by a far margin i will say um sad to see naito lose his belts but i think it was time just based off of you know where's where's there to go at this evil moment debacle. yeah it's like yeah it's like what else is he gonna do like he beat okada and ibushi like it's a fr- it's a fresh person who has now is now double champion and uh when yeah, you look at Ibushi, it's it like, right how move. were you not champion before now? He's just right. like yes, absolutely. carved in marble. Like, makes <laughs> no sense. His yeah. back, his shoulders makes absolutely no sense. Uh, he looks like he's like 25 and he's like in his late 30s. He's incredibly athletic. He Yeah, he's almost 40. Doesn't, doesn't wow. even make sense. Um, but yeah, that, that was, yeah, match of the weekend for me. Absolutely pr- like a perfect match. Like really, yeah. You you really don't know. You're like, like you you think about it. You're like, these guys have had so many great matches. How do they come out and have a great match? Like it must be so hard. Like oh, we've done this before. Like, like how do you like how to invent something that is different from what has been done before? Yeah, like they had a incredible match at the G1 Supercard at MSG, and that match was similar. Like a lot of scary, like very like spots that seemed like potential career ending spots, and uh. Somehow they both just came out of it okay. Like, um, yeah, absolutely incredible. Okada versus Osprey was fantastic, obviously. I think I preferred their shorter match at the G1 just a little bit more. But like, again, we are splitting hairs. This was a like A plus, like classic match yeah i i agree yeah i think that the the g1 match i think that's the thing though it's like they happen so close to each other like you mentioned that the g1 happened later this year and that was just like there were things that happened in the g1 match that i actually haven't seen before in a match and i don't know it's like in the g1 it's just like it's such a different animal than like a wrestle kingdom like match where like if there's a time limit, if they're always fast, hard hitting. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's like a very, very different t- type of match. Almost. I think it was a similar, uh, similar match, but like twice as fast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Right. Yes. This the um the Wrestle Kingdom match got more time and like, you know, uh, I think was still very good, but um yeah the G one I prefer the G one match. I, I was not expecting Okada to go over. Um, no. Yeah, they all all of the empire. Which lost, now right? that I think about, is actually probably the best sign for a wrestler because last year 
Kota lost both of his matches, right? Like he lost against uh, Okada and Okada. then lost against Jay White. So does that mean Empire is yep. going to win big next year? Because you got you got to lose big before you can win big. Um, I think that's a good prediction. Yeah, but also it made a lot of sense. Like I feel like Okada. I just as far as like who needs the heat, like Okada's a little bit been on the the back burner, so he could use a big win to just like keep him still as like one of the one of the top guys. And yeah, it'll be even better when when Osprey does take him over and become and becomes god, as it were. Tanahashi versus Great Okan was fun. Uh, we like the Great Okan and his. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wouldn't write home uh, about Tanahashi, this one, Tanahashi Tanahashi won the match. Uh I yeah, it was like it was it was a solid like it felt to me like a I mentioned that I the reason I liked Hiromu versus Osprey at last year's Osakuna was it felt like a spectacle in like a work rate way. This felt like a spectacle in like a nineteen ninety two WWF <laughs> way. Like T- Tanahashi is like this larger than life New Japan like superhero and the great okan also is like kind of this and not that tanahashi is like a diminished character or something but great okan is like feels the most like uh actual like character kind of within the world of new japan just with his presentation which i personally like a lot uh and the match itself i would say not super memorable but like uh was fun to watch at the time i will say this the the apart from a match you did not watch kenta versus kojima sick hard-hitting action very worthwhile you know clocks in at 14 minutes 12 seconds like great match like solid what you would hope from both kenta and kojima and then you know it's off the heels of that great moxley promo i mentioned so a lot of like hype going to this match and just you know it's two 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 dudes who know how to throw down just throwing hard punches and kicks. It's great. It's like what you want from like a professional wrestling match. The undercard, like the first three matches, I think were like, I mean, the first two. Oh, no offense to Romo and El Fantasma. That was a fine match. But like the first, the the New Japan Rum, Rumble, Rambo. Uh, I, I don't really feel like we need, we don't need to talk about it. Night one had two great matches with Okada and Osprey and Ibushi and Naito. Uh, I, I enjoyed Takashi and Fantasma. I did still not see kenta kojima or dangerous tigers versus uh god so i will go back and and check those out but yeah tigers versus D- god was good it just was another like their tag division just feels too familiar all the time like i just we've seen god face a lot of different people we've seen dangerous tigers face a lot of different people it's a great match because all four of those wrestlers are so good but like i don't know like it's like it would be. I don't, it just feels kind of like if AEW only had like SCU, the Young Bucks, and yeah. that's it, and they just faced each other. It's like WWE. Forever. It's just like it's the like, New Day and like the Usos facing each other. Right, the Usos. Yeah, it's it's just like who? Just give us some more singles matches with those guys. Like I, I feel like uh, for night know. one or night two, I have to rewatch Takagi and Jeff Cobb because the internet went absolutely bananas for this one. I think it's actually probably the most well reviewed match of the weekend um yeah and we both liked it uh i i think like i i i they both just had matches this past year that are like standout like some of my favorite ma- matches of all time like jeff cobb versus ishii um so i think like the the potential like recency of those matches maybe i i think the recency like... of the g1 deflated a couple of these matches a little bit because we did see 
Shingo and Jeff Cobb just put on like sort of a, a clinic of the same matches of the same moves we've seen them sort of put on. And it is still amazing. Like when like, you know, Jeff Cobb throws around Shingo, like he's a rag doll and stuff, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just, I didn't see anything from that match that I didn't feel like I'd seen before. Um, but I think maybe yes. that's just a fault uh, as a viewer. I don't think there's anything wrong with the match. It just didn't blow up my world. Did you enjoy Sonata versus Evil? I, I did you did you watch Sonata versus Evil? I skipped it. We both skipped Sonata uh-huh. versus Evil. Wow. I had, well see. I asked Thomas how involved was is Dick Togo involved in this match. He said yes. I said no, thank you. <laughs> and I think we could leave it at that. Fair enough. Like we don't need to see it. Yeah. If it's like. I don't even need to say anything else about it. Uh, Hiromu versus Ishimori. I feel like they, they they took it up another notch from the from yeah. the night before. Like I had not seen El Fantasmo, and I thought that was a good match, and they had good chemistry. But like Takahashi and Ishimori, like this is this is the shit I'm talking about. This is the shit yeah, that I'm that talking match was about. Sick. Absolutely fantastic. And Ishimori, another like standout for if we had sort of maybe I don't know what kind of award this would be, but someone like. Not necessarily like almost like a mid card award or something. Ishimori would be definitely a pick for me for that. Uh, he said he had a lot of cool matches throughout this year. Um, yeah, this match was great. Good to see uh, Takahashi at the, at the head of the division again, and yeah, because he's the best. He's the best. And then Kotobushi versus Jay White. Like I said, I I I flipped on this one. I do think this is the right match to close out Wrestle Kingdom because there's just more animosity between these two than there is between Ibushi and Naito like that's a great match they have great chemistry it was arguably it was I mean I think it was the better match absolutely although I'd love to watch this one again just to kind of because when you watch so much good wrestling in a row it's it's really hard to process sometimes like as far as which is better because sometimes there's just a recency bias you saw one first so it blew your mind so you couldn't get your mind blown after that as much but man, Jay White is just so fucking good. He's such a good storyteller in ring. This was the first time ever that someone kicked out of the Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you look at it from like a um, production point of view, they got the highlight reel with Ibushi and Naito for like future like spots, and then sort of the final like the closing moments with Jay White, like yeah. the win over Jay White is what's important. And then sort of the highlight reel of crazy moves and sort of fluid wrestling, not to say that Jay White's bad in ring or anything like that, but just, yeah, like you said, no, the match, the I match mean, to remember is Naito versus Ibushi. And then the moment to remember is Ibushi finally beating Jay White and being the first person to kick out of the Blade Runner. Uh, absolutely. And I, I think it puts Jay White at like a really interesting crossroads with this character because yeah, it, it, in, in another company he would be the top you know and he sort of he's hit the ceiling now where uh we were talking about the ng njpw power rankings i feel like the villains are never quite as high as the as the heroes in njpw whereas like in ww you have like brock lesnar just like running wild and like you know jericho was one of their strongest villains in, in aw um i feel like in 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 njpw I, I don't know what's what's next for him right now because abushi is going to be going to be reigning for a while but um yeah and seemingly moving on to other like i feel like osprey and we talked about this last episode but osprey shifting to being the leader of a heel faction 
and as you said, big losses lead to big wins in New Japan. Like, I think Osprey versus Ibushi is on the horizon for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, I, I do think that Jay White was was doing a little work when he was saying he was going to leave the company, but I do genuinely feel like he's probably like, okay, what's what's next for me? I was already champion. Like, I already, like, was in, you know, main evented Wrestle Kingdom and stuff. Um, and now I'm not the top guy. And I am young, so I do have a long career. But, like, what do I do now? I think that's... Yeah, he beat, he beat Tanahashi for the title. Yeah. He's main evented with Okada at Madison Square Garden. Lost to Okada. But, you know, still was in that main event spot. And has been a main event heel for, like, two at least two years now. Like And his ascendance to that's been wild. Like... Uh, winning the U.S. title and really establishing himself there, and then sort of as Kenny Omega left New Japan, kind of slotting in to his role, based like in terms Leader of like, the heel. club. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, like I, we probably have mentioned, we we definitely have talked about that before. Just how kind of like Jay White and Osprey kind of took up the mantle in different ways as Omega left. Um, totally. Yeah, I'm not sure where he goes either. Uh, I I don't know. Um, I think with New Japan kind of uh, expanding its coverage, like there's been that talks about it having a US and Europe show. Maybe we'll get, with Jay White being one of the uh, English-speaking roster members, I can imagine him being a big part of one of those rosters. So if they do make their own like New Japan USA roster, I can see Jay White being... Oh, true. Could uh, be the, utilized the top champ way. there. Yeah, yeah. like... Yeah, maybe him and Kent, like I, him versus Kento would be a cool match that we haven't seen. Like, I think they should implode the Bullet Club and make some new factions or something. Like, the Bullet Club's so far from what it was that it's like Agreed. something completely different now that I think would benefit from being like Kento being able to fight evil, evil being able to fight, you know, not that we need to see more evil matches, but evil being able to fight Jay White. I, I would like to see sort of something new happen there. Um, so. Ibushi's going to fight Sonata next. What do you think Jay White's next big match is going to be? He's probably going to be on the shelf for a little bit. Who do you think he'll he'll challenge when he comes back? I'm not sure, and especially with the title unification being talked about, like who who I'm not sure who he slots against after. It's this. true Intercontinental was sort of like that is almost the new game plus title. Like after you've won the IWGP and you're still one of the top guys, but you don't want to be taking up the top spot. Like you'd be fighting for that. So like Okada might be in a normal year fighting for that, but they are talking about unifying it. I've talked about with Thomas that, you know, sort of the never open weight has sort of taken its mantle as the, the second top title. But now I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, maybe the never weight is, is the, is the belt for people who are on the up, like who are mm. on their way to, the IWGP and the Intercontinental is like for people who have already had the IWGP and they're still huge, but like they're not like that's in my mind what its function is because that's what it was when they were separate. Like uh, Okada and Kenny feuding for the IWGP belt, and you know like Jericho and Naito facing each other for the IC belt. Um, yeah, I think it it's it serves an important purpose. Like, in a way where if there was a conversation to get rid of titles, it's like, get rid of the tag titles. But, like, not... I think there could be a cool tag division in New Japan, but they're, like, clearly, like, there isn't. So, like, if we wanted to get rid of a title, get rid of that. So that way, at least, like, like Ishii could win the Intercontinental title then. 
and you saying the never belt kind of taking its place maybe like jay white and shingo feud that would be an interesting that's like i feel like out of all the memorable matches shingo has had you know him versus jay white would be a good one um i'd love to see him who do sort you of think fight his way from the bottom like to reestablish himself jay white switchblade yeah so do you think so new japan cup is like one of the next big like things someone could win as like a they're gonna challenge for the double championship so Ibushi probably beats Sonata at New Beginning. Well, not probably. He will beat Sonata at New, J- New Beginning. Would be wild if Ibushi lost there. Who do you think wins the New Japan Cup then to face Sonata? Or sorry, to face Ibushi at Dominion? I think they save Osprey for Rust Kingdom next year. Yes. Um, God, I'm not sure who wins the New Japan Cup. Like, because Switchblade would be weird, because it's like, you're not going to have him lose to Ibushi again. That would be a strange move, I think. Who but needs... New Japan does like rematches. I would have said Shingo before if he hadn't re-won the Never Open Wakes. Dude, gonna, I know like, who's going to win. Whom? Okada. Okada. Jinx, you owe me a Coke! We both said it. That's so cute. Of course it's going to be Okada. Of course it's going to be Okada. And we get another Okada, Ibushi. That's going to be awesome. Because Ibushi has to beat him as champion. And, like, obviously there's an argument to save that match for Wrestle Kingdom, but I think there's more story, like, there's a bigger story between Osprey and Ibushi than there is, at least in my opinion, Osprey and, or sorry, Ibushi and Okada, even though they have, like, the history of their matches. I think, like, just sort of, like, Osprey and Ibushi have been on the same level for so long, and now Ibushi's sort of edging Osprey out, so there's, like, a bit more of, and Osprey's trying to be this monster heel, I think there's like a bit more at stake there versus like, you know, just the sportsman like like basically Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan feuding with each other uh, between Ibushi and Okada. Uh, yeah, really looking forward to that. That's gonna be exciting, John. Anything to say to wrap up the year 2020? So many highlights, so many matches watched. We, we should actually now because it's only January 14th, so we've only missed. Four, we could probably go back and do this. Let's. Keep a tally of how many wrestling matches we watched this year. Keep a tally, and we'll make sure to get grades for every one of them. This will be the first full year that we'll have we'll have the grades. But because uh, that wouldn't be too hard to go back and see. Like we watched Dynamite New Japan so far, so no, I think no. like that'd it's be very, easy to it's quantify, quantify. Very manageable at this point. Yeah, we'll just have to keep a running count going. Next episode, we will we'll cover more of the the comings and goings. What's going on in our on our more recent episodes of Dynamite? Uh, yeah, great episode, my friend. Great year. Uh, looking forward to uh, another year of this podcast with you. I like how we did two episodes in a row where we basically like did the closers of the year. <laughs> <laughs> this has been another episode of the Torture Act podcast. You can follow my co-host, John F. Malta, at John F. Malta on all social media. You can follow me, Mark Basque, at Waste of Taste on Instagram. You can follow us on Instagram, on YouTube, on Patreon on our website and join the Torture Racked Wolf Pack.